Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for getting all this word out, encouraging your people to walk in heavenly places by faith. Thank you, Father, for doing this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you guessed it. We're going to talk about walking in heavenly places by faith, number five. In the first revelation, we called Free Unleavened Bread to Share. This is Anonymous 6.5.23. I dreamt that I went into what I thought was a cafe to get food. There was only one person in there, and he was behind the counter cooking. It wasn't like a normal cafe, as there was no menu and no cash register. Well, as Jesus commanded in Matthew 10 and 8, freely you have received, freely give. That's his command. And uh, that's the way his people do it. And there were tables and chairs, but no one was there. And that's because this is a spiritual cafe, and our cafe is over the air to the most extent. I went up to the man, and he asked if I was hungry, and I said, yes. Uh, Matthew 5 and 6 says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. He smiled at me and then started preparing food, and I watched him make and prepare uh, flat or unleavened bread from scratch. From scratch, I believe, represents being taught the truth by God himself. <laughs> Let the scriptures do the teaching, right? John 6 and 45 says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every one that hath heard from the Father and hath learned cometh unto me. Psalm 119 and 160 says, The sum of thy words is truth, and every one of thy righteous ordinances endureth forever. So, just let God do the teaching, right? It's already been done. A perfect job was done, so just let him do it. That's why we just share the Scriptures. This is a, And this, of course, represents uh, no costly pre-packed Bible, college, theologies, sermons, and doctrines, and so on and so forth that are taught by man. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, 1 and 2 says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. <laughs> Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, 
and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Yes, the Lord gives everything freely. It's by grace, which is unmerited and unearned, right? And we're supposed to make it by grace, too. So he used his hands to put it all together, and then he stretched the bread thin to fill a giant pan. He browned it, and it smelt beautiful and was much larger and a different color than a tortilla. And when it uh, was completely cooked, he said to me that this is the bread that I needed to make and eat. Okay. John 6 and 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He's also the word. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall not hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And verse 51 says, I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Yea, and the bread which I will give is my flesh uh, for the life of the world. And we know that the life of the flesh is in the blood, right? Amen. He handed me the warm, flat, unleavened bread, and I held it in my hand. I was very impressed, and I enjoyed it even though it had no toppings and was just plain bread. Well, we're not supposed to add to the Word to make it sweet to the flesh, for then it loses its power. There's a lot of preachers that do that. Uh, we don't want to add a legalistic spirit or, or faith is negated, right? That's right. Proverbs 30 and 6 says, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Well, boy, I tell you, this is common for him to add to the word of God or take away from it. Revelation twenty two eighteen and 19, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto them, God shall add unto him the plagues which are written in this book. And boy, it has overcome a lot of preachers, I tell you. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and out of the holy city which are written in this book. The Holy City, of course, is the bride, according to what he had already told John, right? The man was happy and pleased, and he, he gave it to me at no charge. This man represents David Eels, who has been preparing and serving the unleavened bread, UBM, for many, and he gives it away freely. And, let me say, before David, there was the Lord. This man is the Lord who has prepared for us the unleavened bread in His Word, which gives us life. Father is pleased to give this free gift of eternal life to all who receive it and believe it. It is given by grace through faith. Notice the word freely uh, in these verses. Romans 3 and 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
and 1 Corinthians 2 and 12. But we receive not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that were freely given to us of God. Amen. It's grace. Grace is free. And when it's not free, uh, when healing is not free, that's not God's method. He showed you His method in the Scriptures. The Lord gave us warning to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and of Herod. And these, of course, this leaven is, is of course, uh, man's works, you know, self-works. And uh, this is added to the Word to make it more acceptable to the flesh, that the leaven is. And uh, we eat the unleavened bread and cleanse ourselves of the leaven from our past religious lives with its teachings and our old ways of thinking and self-works. That's the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. We can't have leaven in our houses in the tribulation, which is the last seven years. <clears throat> the only thing that can create Christ in us is the pure Word. And here in Exodus twelve nineteen and 20, we're warned, Seven days, tribulation period, shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a sojourner or one that is born in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your habitations. Shall you eat unleavened bread. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, even as you are unleavened. Yes, the word that the Lord gave to them and through the apostles uh, was unleavened. It was the pure word. It changed people into Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ on earth. For our Passover also hath been sacrificed, even Christ. Wherefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And Galatians 5 and 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Yep, if it's not according to the word, throw it out. You're coming to the tribulation. It will not be allowed. It will cause you not to come into the image of Jesus Christ. Okay, we call this one House of UBM Ministry. Anonymous 311-23. I had a dream that UBM brethren were living together in a large house. This is a spiritual house, of course. They all had their own rooms, but everything else was shared, including their meals. Well, our own rooms, I believe, represent our own individual temple. The large house represents the greater UBM disciples. I call it disciples because not everybody is a disciple of Christ, right? And others that are coming here to share everything, like in the book of Acts. They're going to be uh, shared among the brethren. This will promote love and conserve time, energy, and resources in the tribulation when these things are rare. <laughs> Psalm 133 and 1 is a song of ascents by David. 
Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The Lord is pleased with that. There are people that can't dwell together because they've got so many problems and so many thorny uh, spines sticking out of them, right? Each person had their own area that they would minister in, and some were always praying and interceding, and some always studying the Word, and some cooking and cleaning, and some took care of the gardens and many other areas, and some people did multiple things. And I'm sure that some probably rotated, okay? Uh, this way the brethren don't have to slave away their time, uh, but have time to seek first the kingdom. Uh, the rat race, you know what I'm talking about? We all have been given natural gifts and abilities to help in caring for the body and sharing the work. And we also have all been given spiritual gifts to minister to the body. And the Lord is preparing us for ministry in the tribulation to the world. Both men and women have their biblical roles too. We have to stick inside the biblical roles. Colossians 3 and 23 through 24 says, Whatsoever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men knowing that from the Lord you shall receive the recompense of the inheritance, you serve the Lord Christ. So whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're working for Him. Act like it. Don't act like you're working for a man, because you might not treat him right. Mm -hmm. So, deacons. This is not an office in the New Testament, contrary to popular demand. It is a minister or a servant. That's what diakonos means. Uh, it is not necessarily a minister of the Word, even, but somebody who serves other people. And as in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 12, deacons in like manner must be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, uh, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, and then uh, let them serve as deacons. If they be uh, blameless, and women in like manner must be grave, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Amen. And also elders. 1 Timothy five seventeen through 19 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in teaching. And in verse 19, Against an elder receive not an accusation, except at the mouth of two or three witnesses. And let me say the fivefold offices are the elders, and we can prove that from Scripture, but I won't take time to do it here, and uh, overseers of the church, Ephesians four eleven through 13. And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints unto the work of ministering unto the building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain unto the unity of the faith.
Now, how can you do that? If you only teach the Word, if you only let the Word speak for itself, and not only that, the sum of thy words, not just a word here or a word there, right? Then uh, it'll bring about a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a full-grown man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Oh, my gosh. There are people that preach totally against this. Everyone gathered for prayer multiple times per day and would have Bible studies every day. Uh, I believe we're to pray unceasingly as commanded and uh, and by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Colossians 4, 2, and 3. Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving with all praying for us also, that God may open unto us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Yes, open the door for the word to go out. The world needs the word. Amen. First Thessalonians 5 and 17 says, Pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6 and 18 with all prayer and supplication, praying at all seasons in the Spirit, watching thereunto in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Pray without ceasing. So they fellowshiped daily, Acts 2, 44-47, and all that believed were together and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all according as any man had need. And day by day, continuing steadfastly with one accord in the temple and breaking bread at home, they took their food with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to them day by day those that were saved. Amen. If the Lord wanted someone else to join the community, He would personally bring them to the spiritual house Himself. Amen. We have dreams where the angels will guide some here and also keep some away to protect the fellowship. There are many wolves in sheep's clothing out there. Not everybody belongs uh, in a refuge. Some people need trouble, believe it or not. John six forty four and 45. No man can come to me except the Father that sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. God, every one that hath heard from the Father and hath learned, cometh unto me. And down in 65, and he said, For this cause have I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it be given him uh, of the Father. <clears throat> John 10, 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. John 12 and 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me, that where I am, there shall also my servant be. 
If any man serve me, him will the Father honor. Amen. So the house was in a place that looked like Antarctica or the Arctic. Everything outside of the property was ice and snow. And there were mountains of snow in every direction. Well, the cold area and ice and snow represents winter, which Jesus said represented tribulation. So outside of the refuge, there is going to be tribulation. This is the place of trials and testing people uh, who go through to teach them the peace and the unity necessary to be one with the body. A lot of people can't be one with a group of people. They get critical. They get unforgiving. They get, you know, they get all bent out of shape. The house was close to a giant ice lake. However, the house and surrounding property had green grass and the temperature was warm. Hmm. So the house on the property is warm with the uh, Green grass representing a place of safety and protection and provision. And Psalm 23 and 2 says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Yes. Ezekiel 34, 13 and 14, And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. Mm-hmm. And I will feed them upon the mountains of Israel, by the watercourses, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and upon the mountains of the height of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie down in a good fold, and on fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. The house and property were hidden to everyone that God didn't want there, and the place couldn't be seen on Google Earth or maps. Hmm. I experienced this when I first came here um, when trying to show people my house. It showed nothing but solid woods, and it identified the address and everything. And another time, it showed up, probably dependent upon who wants to come here, right? It can show up or not show up. Psalm 91 and 1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Praise be to God. I went for a long walk outside the property around the snowy mountains and ice hills, and I found a little shack. I went inside and saw a man named Ray, and there were two women that I didn't know there. Well, Ray means wise protector or little lamb, you, uh, one with purity. Ray could represent an angel who protects God's children. I felt as if the women were part way on the path, but not at a UBM level yet. 
That's why they were out in the snow, right? They were trying to get to the UBM house and were searching to find it, but decided to settle in the shack for a while. Well, a lot of people do that. Um, And that was because it was so cold and isolated and they were tired from traveling. So, let me say that most do not need a refuge, but they need tribulation. Because in Acts 4 and 22, it says, Through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. Discipleship is a cross to bear in order to come into fellowship in the body. Uh, Faction is a method that God uses to separate those who refuse their cross. A dead church suits them just fine. We'll settle here. You know, it's close enough. (laughs) I went back to the UBM kitchen and found that it was my turn to choose what we were all going to have for dinner tomorrow. I wanted tacos but I wanted to make sure everyone else was fine with beef tacos. So I went around to ask everyone if they liked beef tacos. Well, Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says, If there is therefore any exhortation in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any tender mercies and compassions, make full my joy, that you may be of the same mind, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, doing nothing through faction or through vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, each counting the other better than himself. Not looking each of you to his own things, but each of you also to the things of others. Yep, make sure others are pleased, right? Jesus, others, you. Spells out joy, right? Let the Lord lift you higher. This is Samuel 5, 4-21-23. In prayer I heard, what is your life? Who do you work for? Keep reaching high just as my son did intentionally and with passion, with a want for more holiness. Have a desire and outlook of attaining higher accomplishment as Lord Jesus has already done. Allow him to work through you. I felt this is to exercise our imagination and see the best possible result. Uh, Philippians three twelve through 14 says, Not that I have already obtained or am already made perfect, but I press on, if so be that I may lay hold on that for which also I was laid hold on by Christ Jesus, which is what? Perfection. Brethren, I count not myself yet to have laid hold, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and stretching forward to the pro- to the things which are before, I press on towards the goal, unto the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So don't let the devil talk you into looking at your past. Forget the things which are behind. Press forward towards the prize. Have faith. Don't get condemnation in your life, right? Verse 
Luke 8 and 15 says, And that which is, and that in the good ground, these are such as in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, hold it fast and bring forth fruit with patience. Matthew 13 and 23. And he that was sown upon the good ground, this is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, who verily beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Mm-hmm. Nothing else matters. Learn to hate waste. Don't worry about time and efforts, but instead what you have been entrusted with, and what you can use it for. Do you think it glorifies me or puts any of the body to shame? Start to save your time for a kingdom purpose. Amen. Some people are so caught up in keeping up with the Joneses that they don't do this. 1 Corinthians 15 and 10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not found vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6 says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to account anything as from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. 1 Timothy 1 and 12. I thank Him. That enabled me, even Christ Jesus our Lord, for that he counted me faithful, appointing me to his service. Second Timothy 2 and 2. And the things which thou hast heard from me, among many witnesses, the same, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. So don't go beyond the things which are written, they were They told us clearly, and uh, we already have it taught very well. Let's go with that. Push into the manifestation of my love. When the darkness is exposed, there is left a presence that is warm and caring for all. Your walk is like a candle out in the open. Learn to guard it with the word and shelter it with faith. Well, Matthew five fourteen through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under the bushel, but on the stand, and it shineth unto all that are in the house. Even so, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And Proverbs 4 and 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Yes, be careful what you put in your heart. Amen. Link and combine with others in Christ. Add to it with prayer and praise. 
Share it with others, but do not let anything lessen your fire for me. I saw everything in the natural trying to extinguish this small lit candle. But when a container like a lantern was surrounding it and plenty of wax and wick, the candle burned bright and strong and gave light for many to see. As you know, an open candle flickers back and forth and is easily put out right? until you guard it. Mm-hmm. Matthew 3.11 I indeed baptize you in water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. In Psalm 39 and 3, My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. Yep, be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath, right? Jeremiah 20 and 9, And if I say I will not make mention of him or speak any more in his name, Then there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with forbearing I cannot contain. Luke 24 and 32, And they said one to another, Was not our heart burning within us, while he spake to us in the way, while he opened unto us the Scriptures? Hmm. Romans twelve nine through thirteen. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. In love of the brethren, be tenderly affectioned one to another. In honor, prefer one another. In diligence, not slothful. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation continuing steadfastly in prayer, communicating to the necessities of the saints and given to hospitality. A well-used vessel has wear, but is cherished and favored and to be cared for. I felt that someone who has been tired and worn out has been in the use of the Lord. Worse yet are those who have reached this stage of worn out and have only known darkness their whole life. Yes, there are people slaving away out there, and they're tired. I also have seen that one who is favored is chosen to do various tasks often. Romans fourteen eighteen and 19 says, For he that herein serveth Christ is well-pleasing to God and approved of men. So then let us follow after things which make for peace and things whereby we may edify one another. 2 Corinthians ten seventeen and 18, But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Amen. There are some people who only serve their flesh, like Satanists and faction people. 
They only serve their flesh. They don't get the gospel out. They don't teach people. They don't heal people. They don't cast out demons. They impart demons. Stay away from them. 2 Timothy 2 and 15, Give diligence to present thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, handling aright the word of truth. James 1 and 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he hath been approved, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord promised to them that love him. Okay, uh, we call this one Communal of the Brethren, Teonifier 5.6.23. I dreamed that we had this giant piece of land, and it had forest all around the outskirts of the property. The property had a giant lake where a river emptied into it. And there were many fruit trees and food growing all over the property. Samuel and I were building a house on the property, and we were living in it while building it. Well, that's the way it is. We are building our house, and we're living in it too, right? Spiritually speaking. Uh, it wasn't a big house, but it was all we needed. In other words, you, your house is basically you and your children and your wife and so on. So it's basically you, right? And it's all you need. And it was shaped in a rectangle. As I watched the house being built, I noticed it was so easy and simple with no stress, as if we were having supernatural help because we didn't have to do much work. And that's because the Lord is doing His works. Psalm 127 and 1, a song of ascents of Solomon. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. There's a lot of vain houses out there, folks. They're just going to all burn up and blow away. People lavish everything on them and so on and so forth. But it's just to keep the rain off your head. A place to sit down, a place to rest, etc. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Yes, right. We are vessels being reconstructed by the Lord individually and corporately as the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 9-17 says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's husbandry, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given unto me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And another buildeth thereon. But let each man take heed how he buildeth thereon, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Obviously, he's talking about a spiritual house. But if any man buildeth on the foundation gold and silver and costly stones, wood, hay, and stubble, the works of man, by the way, that won't hold up to tribulation fires, right? Each man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it is revealed in fire. And the fire itself shall prove each man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work shall abide which he built thereon, 
he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Know ye not that ye are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man destroyeth the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, and such are you. Towards the back of the house was an open lounge, and the wall on the right side was about to be finished. But I asked if we could please leave it off so that the house getting built next to it could have their children share in my little David's play area if they wanted to. So we left that right wall off. There was an indoor slide, swing, and other children activities put there, and the people, uh, children living next to us, uh, could play with it too. What is our possession in Christ and, and to be distributed among the brethren to be shared? Uh, we're stewards and we're not owners. That's why we have to share everything. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. Except you renounce everything you have. You can't be my disciple, Jesus said. You're no longer a steward of 10%. You're a steward of 100% in the New Testament. The wall on the very far back had a door that connected to a giant room that would be connected with all the other houses built. So there's going to be love and peace and a joining of fellowship. And the NENT, Acts 4 and 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and soul, and not even one said that aught of his possessions was his own, but they had all things common. Amen. That's where it's going. And that's because of tribulation that this is going to happen. Ephesians two nineteen through 22 So then ye are no more strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom each several building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. God's like this. He likes this togetherness, right? We were in the process of building another house that was the exact same design next to our house. And these were to be connected, but have separate and private living areas. Well, the houses being the same, it means it's the blueprint for our houses. Uh, They're the same because the blueprint is Jesus. We look in the mirror and we see Jesus. His house is our house, right? The construction was so quick and easy. After completing this house, we were then starting to build many more houses, one by one. But they would be exact same as these, and they would be connected for brethren to live in. Amen. So the body of Christ care for each other's needs. 
and he makes the work go well, easy, joyful, and light. And by the way, we are building no physical houses here. They're already here or are being built by by others. Okay. Our job is the spiritual buildings, right? It was kind of like this property was for a community of brethren and fellow believers who would live here together in unity. But they would still have private physical homes to spend with their family. The giant room that was at the very back of the house was going to be connected to all the other houses too. That's a symbol of unity and love. Amen. So it was like a big giant joint room for everyone that lived there and that they could have a shared space for fellowship and they wouldn't have to go far to get it. And the NENT says this, Act 2, 46 through 47. And daily, continuing steadfastly with one accord in the temple and breaking bread at home, they partook of their food with gladness and signalness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added together daily those being saved. Amen. And there was going to be at least ten houses built, all the exact same and all connected and next to each other. Well, ten is a number of perfection, completion, and also represents the law or the word. When we were in the process of the third building uh, being built, Isaac and Mariana and their children moved into the second house. All of the children loved the indoor play area, and we loved fellowshipping with them. Isaac and his sons were very excited to go fishing for food in the lake and rivers and loved that the lake was on this giant property. We had really good fellowship with them, and they helped with the rest of the completion of the houses and the property, which went quickly and was easy, and we didn't have to do much. Again, we're not here to serve houses or to build fancy places. We're here to serve the Lord. The better we can, the quicker we can get to that, the better, right? Hebrews 3, 3 and 4 says, For he hath been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by so much as he that built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by someone, but he that built all things is God. Okay, we call this one Mount of the Brethren, and it's anonymous, 518.23. I dreamt that all the UBM brethren were living on the top of a tall mountain that was like a national park. It was so beautiful. The air was so clean and fresh, and there was no danger. Only real and faithful brethren were there. Well, this tall mountain probably represents Mount Zion, 
the bride uh, in the promised land for those partaking of the unleavened bread of the word. Psalm 15, 1-5 says, a psalm of David, The Lord, who shall sojourn in thy tabernacle, who shall dwell in thy holy hill, He that walketh uprightly, and worketh righteousness, and speaketh truth in his heart. He that slandereth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his friend, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to interest, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. It took a few hours of driving to go up or down the mountain, and it was rarely done because everything we needed was on this mountain. Everything we need is always provided on our promised land in Christ. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Brandy, Amber, and Alexa were there. And Brandy was always seen helping everyone all the time and he could always be relied on. I could see that Jesus was really strong in amber. I remember seeing Brandy in all different areas of the mountain helping others. It was as if he was helping in all different places, and as if he was everywhere. I also saw many of the local brethren and outreach brethren. Everyone that lived on the mountain had their own physical house. The NENT for uh, John 14 and 2 says, In the house of my Father are many abodes. If not so, I would have told you, for I am going to prepare you a place. And all the houses were next to each other, and were designed like a gated community, but without the gate. Well, we know Jesus is the shepherd leading his sheep. John 10 and 7 says, Jesus therefore said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. The houses ran along a street that went in the shape of a square with two small streets in the center. Revelation 21 and 16 says, And the city, heavenly Jerusalem, Zion, lieth four square. Mm -hmm. Everyone lived on this square-shaped street, and there were community areas for fellowship prayer, meetings, and worships, etc. And because everything was connected, it was only a minute walk to get anywhere. 
This represents being in unity of the Spirit in the corporate body. And Ephesians 2 and 21 says, In whom each several building, fitly framed together, gloweth into a holy temple in the Lord. So all of the individual buildings made one. The square-shaped street represents Zion, the New Jerusalem, according to Revelation 21, 9 through 27. And there came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls who were laden with the seven last plagues. And he spake with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem. Where? Coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God. Her light was like unto a stone most precious, as it were a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Having a wall great and high, having twelve gates, and the gates were twelve angels, uh, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east were three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and on the wall of the city had twelve foundations and on them twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that spake with me had for a measure a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the walls thereof. And the city lieth four square. There it is. Four square, like the streets around it. And the length thereof is as great as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth uh, and the height uh, thereof are equal. Um, and he measured the wall thereof 140 and four cubits. Reminds you of the 144 uh, man-child. According to the measure of a man, that is, an angel. And the building of the wall thereof was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto pure glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all manner of precious stones. And down in verse 21, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the several gates was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are the temple thereof. And the city hath no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine upon it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the lamp thereof is the Lamb. Revelation 21 to 24. 
and the nations shall walk amidst the light thereof, and the kings of the earth bring their glory into it. Amen. And the gates thereof shall in no wise be shut day, uh, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything unclean, or he that maketh an abomination and a lie, but only they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, this is the Philadelphia Church of Brotherly Love. That's what Philadelphia means. And it's born again out of heaven onto the earth. It is the bride that God is separating the faction from now. Yes. I'll, t- I'll tell you more about this bright bl- bride if I can get that far. Revelation 3 and 12. Uh, he that overcometh will I make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out thence no more. And I will write upon him the name which means nature, character, and authority of my God. In other words, that is a the manifestation of God in you, right? And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which cometh down, notice, cometh down out of heaven from my God and mine own new name. And this is in Revelation chapter 3, where it's coming down. It's present tense and future tense. It's not just a building coming down out of heaven at the end of the tribulation. It is being born from above now, and it is the bride. We must be born from above, the Bible says, right? The houses were surrounded by bush, and there was no threat of wild animals, as all the animals were friendly and obeyed us. And we had a good relationship with them. All brethren were in unity, one mind and soul. There was no faction or division, no competition, and no jealousy. And there was just love, and everyone was just like Jesus. Amen. Romans 12 and 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Set not your mind on high things, but condescend to things that are lowly. Be not wise in your own conceits. The only way anyone could get here is if God brought them here himself. No one was invited or shown this place, but drawn by the Spirit. And the NENT, John 14 and 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but through me. There were no Judases there. Hmm. Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto falsehood, and hath not sworn deceitfully. And I don't believe anyone ever left the area, and no one wanted to leave, and they had no reason to. There was now, there was nowhere better to go than here. Amen. That's the house. And John six 
67 and 68, Jesus said, Therefore unto the twelve, would you also go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Okay, that's a good reason to stick together. I was doing something in the forest area, and I found a young man. I found out he was a well-known gospel singer, but he didn't want to be famous anymore. He had repented for selling his worship music and for following the false gospel, and he wanted to know the real Jesus, so he came here to fast and to seek God. Well, Jesus fasted, seeking God with his whole mind, body, soul, and strength, didn't he? Yes, he did. I brought him to meet all the brethren, and Alexa said she knew some of his music, and the man was so very humble. The man's personality was a lot like Jesus. That's the only people that can make it to this place, right? And uh, the man became close to all of the brethren and received the real gospel, and he didn't want to leave the brethren or the mountain. He had no doubt about staying, and he moved into his own house. Amen. Built on the rock, no doubt. There was a knock on my door, and a middle-aged woman showed up, and she had these beautiful paintings. And she was looking. She had been sent to this place and um, by the Lord. And she showed her great paintings, and everybody loved them. Amen. You know, I want to tell you, I saw in a, a vision, a very profound vision, a very bright vision, the bride and the man-child being married in heaven by the Lord. These, This whole picture was made up of bright lights uh, or dimmer lights and brighter lights. In other words, you could see everything very clearly it's just that there was no colors. It was just made out of light. This is the light that's going to be in the place of the bride and the man-child. This is the light. Bright, glorious light. Thank you, Father, for showing us these things. Thank you for blessing us mightily today. Thank you for causing us to walk by faith in you and to come into your image, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we welcome Michael and the brethren to join you and um, continue, in Jesus' name. And we bless them, amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Sure is good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you, Lord, for being with us today, helping us to Get this message out uh, to keep people from getting into condemnation by their works. And, Lord, I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, bless us, Lord, with your presence. And uh, we praise you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. And that is, don't let condemnation steal your faith. You know, there's only one way to the benefits of Christ and his faith. But there's a lot of people out there who won't take another route. They want to be justified by something that 
they do. They want to be justified by their works in order to partake of the benefits of Christ, and it's a lying deception of the devil. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The condition there is believing. And of course, the condition Jesus mentioned almost every time was faith. Faith is what gives us the power of God unto salvation. Now, that Greek word for salvation is soteria, as you probably already know, and that verb of soteria is sozo. And that we've discovered is translated differently in a lot of places. Even though it's always the word sovo is translated as God saving us through deliverance, through salvation, through preservation, healing, provisions, and on and on. Sozo is used to mean salvation through all of those ways. We're saved through all of those ways. Now, we're told in this text here that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto all of that provision of God to everyone that believes. So the condition there for us to partake of the benefits of God is, first of all, faith. The devil sometimes tries, or all the time, tries to sidetrack us from that faith because we're justified by our faith. We're not justified by our works, folks. But people try to earn the benefits of the kingdom, or they try to condemn people into working for the benefits of the kingdom, none of which are going to work. A lot of people have been hurt and are separated from Christ through those things. Now, the text goes on to say in verse 17, For therein is revealed a righteousness of God from faith unto faith as it is written. But the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, or literally, it, it says from faith. Our life comes from faith. The benefits that we receive that comes through the grace of God all come from faith. We are to grow from faith unto faith because the righteous shall live from faith. And our benefits of the kingdom, they come that way. Uh, Romans 5 and 1 says, being therefore justified by faith, that means accounted righteous by faith. And a lot of people are attempting to circumvent this by accounting that their righteousness comes through something that they believe or something that they do and they think they're going to receive the benefits of God because they believe this certain thing or they do this certain thing. But it really is just faith in the promises of God that justifies us or accounts us righteous. In order to have the benefits of God, you have to be accounted righteous first. Therefore, after repentance, the very first thing that we need is faith. Mark 1 and 14 says, Now after John was delivered up, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe in the gospel. And so it says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Being therefore justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just because we believe. Just because we believe, we believe we are accounted righteous. We're justified and we have peace with God. Even before we're fully obedient, even before we're walking in perfection, we have peace with God. Verse 1, being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have had our access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, our access to the grace of God, which is God's favor to provide for us, all these benefits that we've been learning about, comes through grace. It all comes through God's favor, and and God's favor comes through faith. We have our access into this grace through what? Our faith. Ain't nothing else going to give that to us but our faith. Well, Somewhere along the line, most all of us have probably been caught up in seeking to be justified by some doctrine. Denominations seem to work that way. They teach that you are justified because of something you believe or something that you do that most other people don't. That's a silly trap of the devil to keep you from receiving the benefits of God. You can't grow that away. You're basically being been separated from the body of Christ. Galatians 5 and 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousies, wrath, factions, divisions, and parties. Envyings, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I forewarn you, even as I did forewarn you, that they who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul said a sect or a division or a strife is a work of the flesh. You've been divided away from the people of God because you're self-righteous about something that you do. But, of course, the other denominations have something that they do, and you don't. So it just depends on what denomination you're in, or what non-denominational denomination you're in, concerning that foolishness, but which the devil has deceived us, right? Because our access is always through faith. Well, what is faith? Jesus said in Mark 11 and 24, Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you receive, well, folks, as you've already known, the literal translation is received, it's past tense. Receive them and you shall have them. And of course, most of your Bibles down on the footnote, down at the bottom of the page, it has that receive is past tense. It's received or have received. And it don't make any difference which of the ancient manuscripts you look at. That word receive is always past tense. So faith is believing you have something on the grounds that God says you have it. Not because you see it. He's telling you to believe you have received it before you even see it. And that's what faith is. 
that we're accounted righteous because we believe something solely on the grounds that God said so. And of course, that faith gives us access to grace. Well, what's grace? Grace is God fulfilling that benefit or that promise to you by his power since you ain't got no way to do it yourself. And as a matter of fact, this gift of faith totally negates any way that you would use to get that benefit or promise because faith is believing you've already received it, right? Therefore, you can't go out and get it. You can't use your power, your methods to get it. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. And since faith is the assurance of things hoped for, while there's no evidence seen, you're, you're, all you're doing is claiming this gift on the grounds that it's already been given to you. For instance, if by whose stripes you were here, what can you do to go get it? If you try to go get it by your own methods, by your money, by your intelligence or whatever, you prove that you don't believe the verse because God says it's already yours. First Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree that we having died unto sins might live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. And Ephesians 2.8 For by grace have ye been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works that no man should glory. And as we've already seen, salvation in all forms has already been provided. All we have to do is believe and rest. It tells us that in Hebrews 4, uh, 1 through 11. And let God go ahead and bring that manifestation. You know, God's a miraculous God. And as those of you who are entering into his rest already know, his provision is everywhere. You can't go into the deep, deepest wilderness without receiving his provision, even if it falls out the sky, even if it comes out of a rock, even if it comes out of a fish's mouth. You can't get away from God's provisions if you will accept it by faith. But if you attempt to get God's grace any other way, you're going to fail. Now notice the verse reads, we have had our access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. That's the way grace comes. And you ain't going to talk God out of it. That's his method. Many people want to make rules and regulations, which they tell you that you have to keep in order for you to be justified. They want you to keep a part of the law, or they want you to keep a part of man's law, or they want you to do something in order to be justified before God so that God can answer your prayers. Justification is not by works of the law or works of man or special belief that you might have. Justification don't come out of way. Justification comes only through faith in the promises of God. That's faith. And faith is believing that you've received something that you hadn't yet manifestly received. Paul makes it pretty plain. He says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, has found according to the flesh? 
For if Abraham was justified by works, he had therefore to glory, but not toward God. And of course, if Abraham had been trying to be justified by his works and his works had failed him, then he would have been condemned. A lot of people do that. They trust in themselves. They trust in their own works to save them, and they fall under condemnation when those works fail. Well, there's ministries and ministers and doctrines that attempt to get people to change through the method of condemnation. Their method is to condemn you into doing something in order to be justified by God so he can give you a benefit. But there ain't but one way to attain grace, and that's through faith. And faith is the opposite of condemnation. One of the most common things that we see is where preachers will command their groups to stay away from doctors and medicine so that they're going to, that they'll receive healing from God. But that's getting a cart before the horse. You're attempting to get God to do something for you by your works. That faith has to come first. If your works come first, that ain't faith. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, that no man should glory. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. You see, there are your works and there are God's works. God's works come on the other end of faith and grace, and your works come before faith and grace. When it's your works, you're attempting to be accepted by God and to receive some benefit from God by something that you do. So when you hear a legalistic command like that, just remember it's coming from the devil. He wants to supplant the real method of God in your life. He wants to supplant the only method that works. Faith gives grace, and grace gives the benefit. Those apostate preachers are saying, no, if you do this, God's going to do this. In other words, you're trying to buy the benefits of God, as if he didn't pay a big enough price when he sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ. That don't make any sense, does it? And then there are other apostate leaders who want to put you under works of the law in order for you to be justified. In other words, they they say that you have to keep the feast. Uh, some of them say you got to keep the Sabbath, abstain from certain meats, pay your tithes, and on and on. And they tell you that you're not justified unless you do these things. These are deceivers, every one of them. They want to obtain the benefits of God by receiving justification through the works of the law. And it, But it don't matter whether it's the works of the law or the commands of men. It makes no difference because it's the same lie. The truth is, you're only justified by faith. And if you're not justified, you don't get the benefit. In fact, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, God forbid Yea, let God be found true, but every man a liar. In other words, you're believing the truth. You're believing the word of God. That's what it means. 
as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy words and mightest prevail when thou comest into judgment. We definitely always want to prevail when we come into judgment, don't we? We want God's salvation there, whatever that need might be. If we need help, or if we need deliverance, or if we need a provision, all of it comes because of God's grace. And all of that grace comes because of his faith, which he puts into us. And so he tells you here that you can prevail when you come into judgment. If you just agree with what God's word says, just believe what God says. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. He says, let every man be a liar, but let God be true. Romans 4 and 2 says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not toward God. For what saith the scripture? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. That's it, folks. Believe God. It's not as if you're able to save yourself. It's not as if you're able to do the works of God. Remember, there's two different kinds of works. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. That's the works of your, yourself. That no man should glory, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's God's works. Which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. You see, faith gives you grace and grace gives you God's works. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's one way his grace is manifested in us. He works in us to will and to do. You see, it's God's works. Salvation is God's works. And what causes God to do that in us? Faith, bringing grace, causes God to do that in us. Ain't none of your works is going to cause him to do it. You can't buy off God with any of your works. It's not of works lest any man should boast, he said, for in Christ Jesus were we created for good works. And again, these are God's works. When you abide in him, you walk as he walked. That means his works are moving through you. So basically, salvation is God putting his will in us. You know, you don't have any problems when your will is the will of God because you get everything you want. God does everything he wants to do, doesn't he? Our problem is that we have a will contrary to God, so there's a war. But God puts his will in us, and he gives us the capability to bring his will to pass. He works in us to will and to do or to work, you see. That's God working in us, and it's not our works at all. So we're not justified by our works any more than Abraham would. We're justified by faith. Romans 4 and 4 says, Now to him that works, the reward is not reckoned as of grace, but as of debt. 
And this is talking about a person who has to go do something in order to please God so that God can give them their benefit. Verse 4 says, Now to him that worketh the reward, or the answer to your need, is not reckoned as a grace, but as a debt. In other words, you're going, you're trying to go around grace, or you think you're going around grace. You can't go around grace because without God's favor, you are only what you are, and you can't do anything more than what you are. You do what you are. But God's grace enables us to do what he is and not what we are. And because of our own nature, God has to reach in from the outside and change us from the outside. And what causes him to do that? Our faith. Your faith brings his favor to do that. The reward is not reckoned as of grace, but as of debt. God ain't going to be our debtor. We're not going to be able to buy him off. Ain't going to be, no matter what we do, no matter what we believe, no matter what kind of a law we go back under. The law was righteous through works, justification through works. God rejected that. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So he's saying by the works of the law shall no man be justified. Romans 4 and 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is reckoned for righteousness. Praise God. That's the hope. That's the good news right there to him that worketh not. In other words, we don't have to be something that we're not. We can rest in God and his grace. His grace will bring us the manifestation and make us something that we're not. His grace will bring Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 127. Glory to God. And we know that reconciliation means an exchange. Jesus has made reconciliation. He exchanged his life for my life. And what do I have to do to be like Jesus? All I have to do is look in the mirror and see him. All I have to do is accept by faith that this person I see in the mirror is now Jesus living in me. I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. The faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. By faith you're accepting the sacrifice of Jesus. And who's going to bring out the past? God's going to bring that to pass by his grace because you've given him your faith. It says faith is the substance of the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You're giving God a substance that he will use to make into the answer to your need. And that substance is what? It's faith. And because you were chosen by him, even before you knew him, he gave you 
the grace to receive the very first faith from which you continue to receive grace. Psalm 65 and 4 says, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causes to approach unto thee that he may dwell in thy courts. And that's grace to do and be whatever you need to be because we know he has saved us. And as a Christian, if you need faith, ask him for it. For salvation in all forms is not by your works, but it's by his works in you. Romans 4 and 6 says, Even as David also pronounced blessing upon the man unto whom God reckoneth righteousness apart from works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not reckon sin. Praise God for that blessing, right? Well, let's uh, talk about a man who was having just that problem, and that was our brother Paul. Paul was feeling condemned because of his works. And since he was condemned, he didn't have any faith. And since he didn't have any faith, he didn't have any grace. And that's a terrible rut to be in until you lay hold on faith. He said in uh, uh, chapter 7 and verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. In other words, because of his very nature, he wasn't able to partake of the benefits of God. He was not capable of partaking of that benefit of God. He was telling us about his problem there, and he comes to the solution a little bit further down. Let's read on. Verse 15, For that which I do, I know not. For not what I would, that do I practice. But what I hate, that I do. Well, to put it in a simple word, Paul was saying, I'm doing what I don't want to do. And I don't know how to be saved from that circumstance. He hated his sin, but he was in it, and it was overcoming him. And he wasn't getting grace from God because he was feeling condemned. You know why? It's because when you're feeling condemned, what you're saying is, I could do better and I'm not. Now think about it. When you're under condemnation, you're thinking, I could do better, or I should have done better, and I'm not. Well, you're reckoning that you are capable of pleasing God. And really, it's only God who's capable of pleasing God. His nature is the only thing that pleases him. Our nature doesn't please him. When you have condemnation, you don't feel justified by faith, and that's the problem. If you're justified by faith, you don't have condemnation. Condemnation only has one particular good use, Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fierceness of, of fire which shall devour the adversaries. Condemnation comes from willful disobedience. And Paul was saying, the good that I would do, I do not. The good that I will to do, I do not. And the evil which I will not to do, that I am doing. 
You see, his will was totally set against his sin. So it wasn't our will for disobedience, but he had figured out the key to receiving the power from God to overcome. Well, what's the key? The key is faith. It's not justification by works. And Paul was proving that he was trying to be justified by works because of the condemnation he was feeling. He was proving that he was under the law, which was justification by works. But in the New Testament, we have no access to God or his benefits that way. And so the Judaizers who want to bring you back under the law and the legalists who want to bring you under their church laws or their doctrines are all separating you from Christ and from the benefits of God. There's no way for you to be any better than you are. You do what you are because it's your nature. We need the nature of God to be given to us through grace. And you don't get grace except by faith. Paul needed to know that he was justified by faith because he was condemning himself, proving that he thought he was justified by works. Romans chapter 7 and verse 16. But if what I would not that I do, I consent unto the law that it is good. And what he was saying was the law is good and I'm bad. But the New Testament, the New Covenant, teaches us that we're not bad anymore. Romans 6 and 11 says, Even so reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. God made an exchange for your life for his life. And you don't live anymore. Christ now lives in you. You see, as long as you're going to call yourself a sinner saved by grace, you're going to be a sinner. The truth is, that old sinner's dead. That's what Paul commanded us to believe in Romans chapter 6. The old man is dead, and now Jesus lives in us. Now, watch how your faith causes God to give you grace to bring it to pass. That's something you can never, ever do. God's going to do. He'll do it for you as a gift. He'll give it to you as a gift. You couldn't work your way to it. Never. If you were here a million years, you'd never get it. But God's going to give it to you as a gift. And he's not going to allow you to reach it any other way because he's not going to be your debtor. Romans 7, 17. So now is no more I that do it, but sin, which dwells in me. Now, here's what he's saying. Since my will is against it, that proves that there are two entities here. My will is against this, but my flesh is doing it. He says, now, it is no more I that do it, but sin which dwells in me. We're schizophrenic when we desire to serve God, yet we walk in the flesh. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but to do that which is good is not. For the good the for the good which I would do not, but the evil which I would not, that I practice. In other words, the evil which I desire not to do or wish not to do or will not to do, that's what I practice. 
Verse 20. But if what I would not that I do, it is no more I that do it, but sin which dwells in me. Therefore, I, the one who wills not to sin, I am a son of God. I am righteous. That's the spiritual man who wills not to sin. But since Paul was continuing to sin because of his flesh, he said, it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Paul received the understanding that when he desired to do right, God separated him from the sinful man. God separated the righteous spiritual man from the sinful man of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Well, you know, the old man has to die here. You're not trying to save the old man. He can't be saved anyway. It's your spiritual man who's saved. The one who is an eternal son of God. That spiritual man is growing in you. As the outer man is decaying, that inner man is being renewed day by day. Second Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 4.16 says, Wherefore we faint not, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. That spiritual inner man is taking the territory. The Israelite is going in, he's taking the territory away from the Canaanite, that's the old man. The spiritual man is conquering the old man with the edge of the sword, taking his land, and our old life is his land. And as we walk by faith in God, that's what's happening, because God's doing this in us. God said, I'm going to go before you, you go, you take up your sword, but I will conquer your enemies for you. And I will give them into your hand. And that's what God's doing. He's given this old life into the hand of the spiritual man. And his sword is the word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Romans 7.21 says, I find then the law that to me who would do good evil is present. 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, 23. But I see a different law in my member, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity under the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me out of the body of this death? Then he goes on to say in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or as the numeric pattern reads, but thanks to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's crying out, who's going to deliver me? He's looking for a savior. And that's Jesus. That's his job. Thanks be to God. He's already done this for all of us. He's already accomplished it. Paul receives the revelation here that the sacrifice of Jesus already delivered him. And when you read on, you can see that he says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I of myself with the mind indeed serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. So faith in this revelation that the Lord has already delivered him out of the body of that death. Already delivered him from his bondage to the sinful man. 
that's what's going to give Paul the grace he needs to walk away from that old man and to walk as Jesus walked. It's like the serpent on the pole in the wilderness. And I'm sure most of you remember the story. Numeric uh, Numbers 41 and 5 said, And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread and there is no water, and our soul loathes this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people died. Much people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Because we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a standard, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and set it upon the standard. And it came to pass that if a serpent, serpent, had bit to any man when he looked unto the serpent of brass, he lived. And the solution came when anyone who had been bitten got their eyes off of the bite and onto the serpent on the pole, then they were healed. They got their eyes off the problem and on the solution. They quit looking inward, started looking upward. Well, folks, guess what? We've been snake bit. That's the problem. This old man is a serpent, and he is the son of the serpent. We've been snake bit, and the poison of that serpent is in us. And the solution is for us to see that Jesus, who became sin for us, was crucified on that pole, on that cross, and now we're free. We died with him. We were delivered. We were healed. We were provided for because all the things that are included in salvation were given to us at the cross. So we have to get our eyes off the problem and then put them on the solution. So what does condemnation do instead? Well, condemnation gets your eyes on yourself and then that separates you from God. And as I've mentioned, Condemnation does have one good use, and that's when you're in willful disobedience. But when you're like Paul, and you're not in willful disobedience, when you desire the power of God, you just don't know the way to reach it, then condemnation is detrimental to your life because it separates you from Christ. Condemnation tells you you should have done better, and that's the very opposite of Look at Jesus. He's already done it for you. And as a matter of fact, Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Using condemnation to force a person's change is called legalism and is doomed to failure. If you're under condemnation, you will receive no power from God to change. Condemnation, of course, is the opposite of faith. Faith gives grace. Grace gives the benefit. But again, if you're under condemnation, it's either because you feel justified by works or you feel not justified by works. you got a wrong relationship with God. 
Instead of a relationship of faith, it's a relationship of self-works. Some of you are trying to change people through condemnation. That ain't going to work. Listen, you have to put faith in a person's heart. Condemnation will cause them to look inward. Condemnation will cause them to get their eyes off the serpent on the pole and back on the snake bite. And the only thing they'll, they'll ever have there is the curse. But if you put faith in that person's heart, they're going to have grace and they'll have the benefit of the kingdom. So what we have to do is put faith in their heart. We have to speak encouragement to people. We have to speak the promises of the word of God to people. We have to help them accept freely who they are in Christ Jesus. And once they accept that they are righteous in Christ, because they're justified through faith, then they can receive the benefit as a gift. Paul continues, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. What put Paul in Christ Jesus? Well, the only thing you can see from the text is that Paul believed Jesus was the solution. And of course, that's true. Jesus was the solution, and Jesus is the solution. He's already given us the benefit. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16 says, Yet knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we believed on Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. What he's doing, he's saying the same thing over and over there, isn't he? Paul wants this to come across because this is real important. People are seeking to be justified by various self-works of keeping Sabbaths or paying tithes or keeping the feast or not eating meats and so on and so forth. And I mentioned one fallacy that is very detrimental and destructive. And that is, well, if I don't go to the doctor, God will heal me. If I don't take my medicine, God will heal me. No, you get in a cart again before the horse. That's justification by your works. You're saying God will give you the grace because of your works. But he's not going to do that. It has to be by faith. Have you already been healed? Of course you have. That's what the Bible says. So if you believe that you've already been healed, that's faith. And what do you receive for that? You receive God's grace. And what does the grace do? It causes you to walk in the benefits of God. And if you want to walk in the benefits, the grace for the ability to do that has to come from God. Now, remember, there are two kinds of works. There are your works, which come before faith. There are God's works which are a fruit of faith. God's works in you are what will cause you to walk in perfection before the Lord. James spoke about faith being made perfect through works in James chapter 2, verse 22. Thou seest that faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Well, what works was he talking about? Philippians 2 and 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. James was talking about God's works. 
Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, uh, verse 8 says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works. And that's talking about your works. That no man should glory. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. In other words, these works are his works because you are in him. And so he says here in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, for it is God who works in you. It's God working in you and folks, that's grace. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's what we need. And that right there is real salvation. All those other things people tell you that you can do in order to receive the benefits of God are just a cheap substitute and they don't work. It has to be by faith. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law. Well, how do you know if something is a work of the law? You know it's a work of the law because there's a condemnation involved. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. See, you can't get out from under the curse when you're seeking to be justified by your works. There ain't no way out. You're under the curse of the law. It doesn't matter if it's the Old Testament law or man's law or your law. You're still under a curse because your works are coming before your faith. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who continues not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. So if you want to seek to be justified by anything you do, you got to do everything God wants. And that's the only way you could be justified, and that ain't possible. It's not possible because your fallen nature it's not going to permit that. We need grace. We need unmerited favor from God to make us into something that we're not. And you can only do what you are. And so God has to make you into that something else. And only faith brings the grace for that. Verse 11. Now that no man is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous shall live by faith. And if you'll notice, there's only one way to have God's life, and that's to live by faith. That life is a free gift from God through faith. And he don't give that gift just to anybody. He only gives that gift to people who believe. That's the condition. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 29. According to your faith, be it done unto you. And then... Uh, chapter 8 verse 13 as thou hast believed so be it done unto thee as Jesus said for all of God's benefits that's the condition and if a person doesn't believe they won't receive and they'll go on in their self works and die under the curse you see the righteous shall live by or literally from faith Galatians chapter 3 and verse 12. And the law is not of faith. There is no law that man can put you under to make you righteous. Because none of that is faith. And it goes on and says, But he that doeth them shall live in them. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. You see, the Lord put our curse upon Jesus. And we're not under the curse of the law. We don't have to obey the law in order to be justified. Now, if we walk by faith, God's going to give us grace. And that grace will cause the law to be fulfilled in us. Fulfilling the law is not the same thing as being under the law. To be under the law is to be under a curse. Verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who continues, not in all things that are written in the book of law, to do them. The law is the letter. It's a parable. And only the Spirit fulfills the letter. It is being fulfilled in spirit in you who walk by faith in him. James chapter 2 and verse 14 says, What doth it profit, my brethren, if a man say he hath faith, but have not works? Now, what works are these? These are the works that come from faith. Not the works that come before faith. Those are your works. When you believe, God gives grace for you to do his works. And some people want to take the book of James out of their Bible. They insist that it's a false doctrine because they say, no, we're not justified by work. And they don't understand that there are two kinds of works. There's God's works, which are the fruit of faith. And those, and there are your works. And those aren't acceptable. Verse 14 says, What doth it profit, my brethren, if a man say he hath faith, but hath not works? Can that faith save him? And if a brother or sister be naked and in lack of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Go in peace, be ye warmed and filled, and yet ye give them not the things needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead in itself. If God's works don't come from your faith, then your faith is not his faith. There is a mental assent, which is not God's faith, and doesn't believe you have already received. Because faith is calling the things that are not as though they were. Faith is believing you have received. And people say, I believe, I believe. But when you ask them if they believe they have received, you find out they don't because their actions prove that they don't believe that they have received. And their words prove that they don't believe they have received. So it's not faith. That kind of faith can't bring forth God's works because it's not faith at all. There's an old saying that goes, faith that fizzles out at the finish had a flaw in it from the first. The truth is, it's not faith. If it's not bringing forth God's works, it's not faith. Verse 18, yeah, a man will say, thou hast faith and I have work. Show me thy faith apart from thy works, and I by my works will show thee my faith. You know, people do think that they can show you their works apart from their faith, but the works of God manifested through man only comes because of true faith. And that faith comes only by his grace. Ain't nobody can brag. Nobody can. And he goes on to say in verse 19, Thou believest that God is one, thou doest well. 
The demons also believe and shudder. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith apart from works is barren or unfruitful? True faith will give you the works of Jesus as a free gift. Verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works, in that he offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? Thou seest that faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Faith is made perfect by works, folks. When you have faith, are you justified before the works? Yeah. As we previously studied up in Romans 4, you're justified. You're accounted righteous. You see, when you have faith, even before the works perfect the faith, you are accounted righteous. And when you're accounted righteous, then you're entitled to the benefit that grace brings. So faith brings grace, and grace brings the works of God in your life. And that's pretty neat, the way God has it planned. People like to turn that around and put the cart before the horse, but God ain't going to accept that. You're separated from Jesus, and you're separated from grace if you do that. So what do we need to do for people to enable them to overcome? We need to put faith in them not condemnation. And how do you put faith in them? You speak the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes of hearing and hearing by the word of God. You speak the word of God to them and you call the things that are not as though they were. Don't attribute their failures to them. Don't attribute their stumbling to them. Help them to take their eyes off themselves and get their eyes on the Lord. Help him to see that he already took it away. He took away that sinful nature and he nailed it to the cross. And now they got Jesus' nature. And this will cause a person to overcome. If instead of putting faith in them and letting that faith bring them to grace to change, you put them under condemnation to force them to change, the only thing that you're going to make there is a Pharisee. They'll feel that they're going to feel like that they're justified and that they're righteous because of something that they've done or something that they believe. We are righteous because of something God did. We're righteous because we believe in something he already accomplished, not in something that we could do. Well, faith is the foundation for salvation, but we're going to be judged by our works. Every place in the Bible where Jesus talks about coming back and judging his people, he's judging them for one thing, and that's their works. Why? It's because your works are proof of your faith. And if you don't have the works of God, it proves that you have not been walking in the faith of God. So is God judging our faith? Yeah. He's judging our faith by our works. And he said, and I, by my works, will show thee my faith. And what we need to do above all things is encourage one another. We need to share with one another what the Lord has done and not what we need to do. If you get your eyes on yourself, you're going to become withdrawn and feel rejected. But if you get your eyes off of yourself and on the Savior, you're going to be someone who walks by faith. 
You walk by faith in what he has already accomplished on that cross. You walk in faith by what he has given to you by bearing your curse. That's what delivered Paul out from under his problem with condemnation. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You'd think there would be condemnation if I'm sinning and I'm falling or failing, but not if you're justified by faith. Because you see, God wants to give righteousness to you as a free gift. You don't deserve it. And you know what? Condemnation comes because you think you should deserve it. Or in other words, I have to do better so God would accept me. No, the only one who can do better is God himself. And he wants to give it to you as a free gift. And he wants you to know it is a free gift. Because it's not of yourself, lest any man should boast. He will not accept your buying any of his benefits. And the condemnation that comes through legalism separates God's people from him, from his power and from his benefits. And it separates us from grace, his unmerited favor. So get out there and encourage people by faith and you'll see a lot of changes. Well, Lord, we just thank you for this message today and we ask, Father, that you carry it forth and let people be set free from works of themselves. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. All right, folks, we're out of time. God bless you. We'll see you next time. God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh, Jesus I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. That darkest night What will be my guiding light The shining rays of red and white Jesus, I trust in you Sacred heart in you I find Mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus